All right. Well, good evening, good evening. And um, yeah, it's so good being with you guys this evening. Um, just want us just to pray, just, just off the back of that worship, just to pray, to settle our hearts. Lord, we want to say we love you. Oh, we want to be crazy about Jesus. We want to be, Lord, we want to just have a passion for your son. Come and increase tonight in us, Lord, a love for Jesus, a love for him, the one we follow, the one who, who at the cross, at the cross, surrendered it all for us, who put us, our sins were put upon him on the cross, that my punishment due for me was put upon him, that he was punished for me and for you. And Lord, we want to worship you tonight. We say, Lord, thank you for mercy. Thank you that it's undeserved, that Lord, we are dirty, rotten sinners, rebels, are running away from God, and you've come and you've, you've, you've reached down to us on a search and rescue mission. Oh, to love us, even in our sin, even our brokenness. What a God you are. You're, Lord, you're such a, a, a merciful, faithful God. We honor you tonight, Lord. Come and stir in us a passion for your name. Oh, Lord, not out of the flesh, but out of you, Lord. Maybe for some here that are far from you, that may be looking in and checking out this Christianity thing. Lord, that tonight, that we thank you that you're checking them out, <laughs> that you seek us before we seek you. You search for us before we've ever searched for you. Uh, you've loved us first, the Bible says, before we've loved you. Father, may tonight we experience the pursuit of the Father's love, even as you talk about the things that are on your heart. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Oh, we love you. Where would we be if it wasn't for Jesus? Where would we be? Oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, love you, Lord. So just tonight as we, you know, I've been, uh, I re I've been serving Jesus for how long has it been? 29, 30, 30-something 30 years? 31, 32 years? But the longer I've been serving him, the more I'm aware, like, I know so little. Uh, my love for him is so small in what he's worth. Uh, my name is Mike, uh, for those who don't know, and I'm one of the elders in Josh Jen. We're actually not living in, in Stellenbosch. We live in Wellington. Uh, Someone goes, wow, that's so far. Yo, you drive, did you sleep over? Okay, no, it's just about 40 minutes drive. It's not that bad. Um, and we helping out for the month of August, driving in and out. Uh, one of the, the pastoral couples, Mac and Nordine, are obviously on, on sabbatical. That means they're just having a really long holiday, if you want to know what that is. It's just a fancy word for like just having a really good holiday and um, getting refreshed. Um, and so we're just trying to step in and just help where we can over this month. My wife is, is 80, and unfortunately, she's not unfortunately, but um, <laughs> unfortunately, she's my wife. <laughs> unfortunately for her, no. Okay, what I was trying to say is that she's in Zambia at the moment, so on an outreach, and she was flown up for five days to do like a ladies' camp uh, in Lusaka, so she's up there at the moment and um, having an awesome time. It's quite weird. I, she normally drops me at the airport. I'm the one that travels quite a bit. And I dropped her at the airport. I went home. It was weird. Let me just say that. It was weird. Um, anyway, but I could be with you guys tonight, so that's great. Um, so what we're going to do is now some of you have followed this. I think most of you have followed this. As you know, we're doing a, a video series at the moment in our midweek community groups called This is Church which is kind of looking at the values of what we believe, what we hold to as valuable as a church, as a local church, as followers of Jesus. And on Wednesday night, we looked at this aspect of church. You know, Andrew touched on church 
Um, if you don't know what church is, now if I say that word to you, church, some of you, some, most of us are like, yeah, man, we know what that is, and we've experienced love and community and fa- family and fellowship, but for some of you, church might be a really dirty word. Like when we say that word, or in Afrikaans, kerk, it's like you might get an allergic reaction, you know, like, Ugh. you know, it's like, I love Jesus, but, or I kind of, or maybe I, I kind of, I'm, I'm interested in following Jesus, but this thing of church, um, and, and I know some of us have had very positive experiences, and some of us have had very negative experiences about church, and obviously, um, the thing is, you can't be a follower of Jesus without being with his people, that's impossible, and, uh, and, and the church is actually a sociological miracle, someone once said. It's just the fact that we can all be together as broken human beings, not yet perfect. I know some of you might think you're perfect, but it's, it's a miracle. It's a work of God, and, and we need to understand the beauty of the church. And, and so I want to teach on this evening about the temple for today, the temple for today. And unpack, it's actually just a Bible teaching to lay a theology of this beautiful thing that we're part of, and um, its implications for today. Now, some of you know, but in Scripture, in the Old Testament, you have different themes that run through um, the Old Testament, which run through the entire Bible. And these themes are themes like covenant. You might have heard that word before. Themes like kingship, uh, of the faithfulness of God, themes of glory. There's different themes that run throughout the Bible, and they have an impact on us today. It's like they wash over us in the 21st century. And with these themes, you know, many of these themes are in pictures and in stories and in images in the Old Testament, and they are what they're called shadows or types. And these types or these shadows point towards a greater reality. Um, so, for example, I'm sure you, you know the image in the Old Testament of the lamb, right? And uh, you had the sacrificial lamb, and they would sacrifice the lamb, a, a little innocent, spotless lamb. And they would sacrifice that lamb for the sins of the people. The lamb had never done anything wrong. It would be a lamb without blemish. But that lamb in the Bible, it points towards a greater reality, right? Which is the lamb of God, Jesus. And so you've got these images and and shadows and types that point towards a greater reality. Now, one of the images in the Bible is the image of the temple that point towards, it actually has three or four outworkings in the New Testament. And so I want to just unpack and open that up to you this evening and really help you to understand the wonder of what we are part of um, and that kind of, yeah, what we have the privilege to be part of as his followers. And it deals with the presence of God, so we'll talk about that tonight, and it deals with the people of God um, and with the person of God as we deal with it tonight. Is that all right? I've got some water here, excuse me. Don't you guys do sparkling water in uh, Stellenbosch? What's wrong, man? Poor students. (laughs) All right. So let's have a look, and um, I want you to turn with me to Exodus 25. And as you do that, I want to say, I want to give you a background. Now, when I say the word, we've said the word church, Um, I'm going to give you another word, and that word I mentioned before is temple. Temple. Now, in our modern context, if you want to go to a temple, where would you go to? We generally go to a place where there's a synagogue or a, uh, a mosque, especially, or you go to the east. Have any of you traveled to the east where you see a lot of temples? But in ancient times, in every town and village, there was a temple. There was a building that the purpose of the building was actually to house the local god 
that the locals would worship. In every culture throughout the world, that would happen. That was normal in, in ancient cultures. And the local population would go and worship their god who would have like power over their area and uh, in, in these local temples. Um, and what happened is God uses this image of a temple, by the way, um, to, to teach us something, and he, he kind of accommodates a cultural reality for that, where we find in the first time in the Bible that for Jews, now some of you know, as you know, the history of the Jews, the Jews never had a temple initially. When they worshiped the one true God, they worshiped him, and God didn't need a temple. God doesn't need a building, because you cannot contain God in a building. You can't represent him in any way in a building. And so the Lord never had a temple. But at some point, he, in his wisdom, chose to use a physical structure to point towards something greater. And what he does is he speaks to Moses as the people of God have come out of Egypt and they're wandering around the desert for 40 years, wandering around. And in Exodus 25, the Lord says to Moses, and by the way, when we read this, we see, you can put the scripture up, thanks, is that this is God's idea, not Moses' clever idea. And Moses, God says this, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. Now, what's going on here? So what God said, he said, Moses, I want you to build me a structure. I want you to build me a temple, a sanctuary, um, a, a, a structure to, so that I can live among you, so that I can be with you, and I can presence myself among you. Now, God, the Bible actually says, doesn't dwell in buildings, but to accommodate the people, he did that to point to a greater reality. And God's aim, if you look at verse 8, what does it say here? A sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And it was actually a place that God would meet with his people at. It was a physical place they would go to where they could encounter God and where heaven and earth could intersect and where the presence of man and the presence of the glorious God could come down and there could be some kind of meeting place that would take place. Now, as you know, because Israel, they were a kind of pilgrim people wandering around in the desert they couldn't build a building. So what God made them do is he made them build a tent. Um, it was about like a portable structure. Do any of you go camping? Any of you have tents, right? It was a portable structure that you put up and you can take down and you can travel with you. And essentially, the very first Jewish temple in the Bible was a tent, was a portable structure. And uh, I don't know if any of you enjoy camping. I'm more of a glamper myself. Uh, you know, I don't enjoy, maybe because I'm so tall, tents uncomfortable, I can never find a big one for me. Um, that's besides the point, thank God I'm not in the desert. And so what happened was God created this tent, why? For this very reason that God wanted to go camping and pitch his tent among the tents of the Israelites. This is a very profound thing that God did. And so what happened was, as Israel traveled, many of you know, there were, I think, over a million people that traveled together through the desert, wandering around as they were heading to the promised land and following the cloud and following the fire, the cloud by day and the fire by night. And as they built the structure is that when they would camp for a period of weeks or months or days is they would set up their campsite. There was even instructions of how they would do that. And the campsite was set up um, in, in groups of four 
where there would be four, uh, four tribes, three tribes on the one side in the east, three tribes on the west, three tribes in the north, and three tribes in the south. And in the middle of all the tents that they would set up, there would be one tent in the middle, which would be the tent of the Lord. And this tabernacle, this tent, would be constructed and set up, and they would then go to the tent to worship God. But this tent had a big wall around it. It had like a seven-foot-high linen wall, white, pure white linen wall that was around the tent. And, um, and so it was surrounding and in the center of where the people of God dwelt. You know, so much so that if, as a Jew, and you imagine you're in the desert during that time, and you, you're camping, what you would do is it, all the tents would be facing the tent of the Lord, the tabernacle where worship and sacrifice would take place. And if you got up in the morning and you got out your tent, you know, um, the first thing you would see as you got out the tent would be that tent, this big wall, this big curtain with this tent on the inside. And above the tent, if it was in the day, there'd be a cloud. cloud it was like a cloud that would kind of represent the presence of God. And at night, there'd be a massive pillar of fire every time following them around. And now imagine you're getting out, you know, getting out the tent. Honey, can you go get some manna this morning? You know, get the, yeah, I'm going to get it, honey. Let me get the manna, you know. Oh, manna again, you know. Picking the manna off the ground and you kind of, what do you want for breakfast? So how about some manna pancakes, you know. Okay, yeah, okay, manna pancakes, right, you're making. And all the while, while you're making your food, you're looking out. And in front of you, there would be the, the tabernacle. There would be the temple of the Lord with this cloud. Now, what was inside the tent? Because obviously you had this, this massive um, uh, wall, and inside, if you went inside the courtyard, there was a giant courtyard, I won't go into all the details, with a, with a big, it was a bry place, basically. It was a giant bry. It was a giant um, uh, altar place where they would sacrifice animals on. But if you went further on into the courtyard, is that there was a tent. And this tent had two rooms in it. The two rooms were, the first room you'd walk in was a room called the holy place. But the second room that you went into was called the most holy place. And within the second room, there was a piece of furniture. There was furniture in both of them. But the second room had a piece of furniture, it had a box. And what was in the box? What was the box, right? Many of you know, it was the, the tabernacle or the Ark of the Covenant. If you watched Indiana Jones, it was nothing like that. It looked like that, Okay. Um, but it basically was this box made of gold, overlaid with gold, this magnificent box which represented the presence of God. And the room was a perfect cube. It was, if you actually went into the room, it was as high as it was wide, perfectly cubed. Now, remember that because I'm going to come back to this later. Okay. And that was essentially what it was, housing the presence of God, um, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the tablets of stone, etc., that were inside of it. Now, I want to say this quickly in closing, that as I mentioned in the beginning, God used this kind of tent or tabernacle to point towards a greater reality of where he really dwelt. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where does God today dwell in his fullness? Where is the glory of God and the presence of God in its fullness? Any of you know? It's not a trick question. It's in heaven, right? Firstly, I want to say right now, if you want to see the Lord in his glory, he's right. He's in heaven on his throne. Heaven is the place where God is. That is the address. If, if he says, where is God's address? Firstly, God's address is in heaven. Now, heaven is not some like, how, how far is heaven? Heaven is a spiritual reality 
that he's close to us, that if you're in Jesus, you're in Christ, you're a follower of him, there's a very thin veil between heaven and earth. So much so that as his people, when we come to worship, in a sense, there's, a, there's an intermingling of heaven and earth, which we'll, we'll talk about a, 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 bit, a bit more. But, you know, this picture that we have, what is heaven like? What does it look like? And what God does is with these shadows and types of tents and tabernacles and arcs, it points towards a greater reality. It's a bit like uh, when I was young, we used to have a corner cafe. I grew up in the Eastern Cape in Port Elizabeth. Um, I grew up in also a very traditional church, a Catholic church, where, you know, you had the, the priest dressed up with a long robe, uh, called him father, but he dressed up like a mother. So, <laughs> so I'm getting myself into trouble. I don't want to... And there were people who loved the Lord, but, we, you know, and that, it had the, the, the incense... Uh, the smoking handbag, we used to call it, you know, and uh, the incense, and it was very traditional, very much, and there was something beautiful and sacred about it, sure, but that's where I grew up, and, and for me, church was formal, it was religious, uh, you know, it, it was, I didn't know God, I'd, I'd never met him there, but the thing with it is that if you had to say to me, heaven, I had this idea of it, and the thing with shadows and types and all that is that this greater reality, yeah, my point was this, so we had this cafe, and uh, down the road, um, cafe is like a, a 7-Eleven. I don't know, do you have cafes in Stellenbosch? Um, anyway, and there was a corner cafe. And in the cafe, there was this foosball table, this little foosball table, which is like table football, table soccer, where you, you turn the men and you kick the little ball. Now, growing up, I'd never actually been to a proper football stadium, a soccer stadium. I'd only, if you said to me, Mike, what is soccer? I would have only have seen this, this table. That's it. And this table was what I thought soccer was. So if you said, let's go and play soccer, I would go, yeah, let's go to the corner cafe. And we'd play, that's what we'd play. But later on, actually last year and then a few years ago, um, I was in Brazil. I went to Sao Paulo on an outreach. And the guys took us to a football stadium. Um, and there were 45,000 Brazilians screaming and shouting for their local side. I thought we were going to get um, mugged because, like, I wasn't sure if we were wearing the right colors, you know. Right, police, it was just insane, you know, like 50,000 supporters. And so we go into this football stadium, and suddenly I realize this is proper football. That little table, what is it doing? It's all it's doing, it's pointing to a greater reality. And that's what the Bible does, it uses these images. And right now, the, the, where God dwells in his fullness, where all these things take place, is actually in heaven. Uh, that's what scripture says in Hebrews. That is um, where God dwells in his fullness. Now, let's just get back to the thing of the temple, and I'm going to move on quickly and mention these three points to you quickly, is that in Jesus' day, now by the time Jesus came along and the Jews were settled in Israel in the promised land, you didn't have the, the, the desert tabernacle or the desert temple anymore. That tent was, was done away with. Instead, what the Jews did is they built Solomon's temple, which was then destroyed, and in the day of Jesus, there was a temple called Herod's Temple, and that temple also had a, a, a holy place, had an outer court, a most holy place, where they would go, and uh, the priest would go in once a year, and where sacrifice would happen in the temple complex, and so Jesus, as a good Jew, would go to the temple three times a year, and as a Jew, their entire lives were prioritized around the temple, so much so that if you, your national identity was tied in to that, that structure, that building, because it represented God being with them in their midst, God blessing them 
among them. You know, and certain cultures have certain buildings that represent certain things in a culture. I know, um, where is it in Paul? There's a, there's, a, there's a monument to a language. It's the only one in the world, the Tal Monument. The Paul Monument? Tal Monument. Okay. And uh, it's this thing. And it's the only, like, what, la what country would have a, you know, a monument to, that's the Afrikaners, right? And, and you go to certain, but that, what does it do? It's a, it's a thing of pride and there's national identity. If someone had to go with a sledgehammer and spray paint and, and kind of spray all, all over the Tal Monument and try and, you know, deface it, can you imagine the outrage in the Afrikaner community? It would be massive. And in the same way for the Jews, like this temple, it represented God in their midst, the glory of God. And if you, as a good Jew, and this is what Jesus did, if you wanted to go and meet with God, if you wanted to go and offer sacrifices of worship to God, if you wanted to go and to um, encounter the glory and the presence of God, you went to the temple. That's what represented him on the earth. That's what he chose it to be. And so they would travel to the temple. It was the central to the life of a Jew at that time. Just as they didn't have to get out their tent, and that's what they saw, but they had to travel to Jerusalem on pilgrimage to do that. Now, we don't do that today anymore. We don't go on pilgrimage. Um, we don't go to Mecca. Uh, we don't go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. We enjoy Jerusalem, but it's not our home, right? Um, let's see the application for us today of how the, the temple is. Now, there are three ways in which this theme of the temple is brought through in the New Testament today, for us today. And so, let's turn to John chapter 2, 19 to 22. Everyone with me? I've just been kind of... All right. Great group. John 2, 19 to 22. The first point I want to make is, how is this type fulfilled today for us as Christians or uh, as followers of Jesus, what is this theme of the temple that was so important for the Jews? What has it got to do with us today? And, and the first point I want to make is that now Jesus is the temple of God. That's the first point we want to make. In the New Testament, it emphasizes the temple of God is no longer a physical building, but it is found in the person of Jesus. How does that work? Well, let's read this together. John 2, 19 to 22. And Jesus is arguing. He often, by the way, argues in the New Testament. And in fact, let me just say this, that one of the signs of a, of, of a Jew, even in prayer, is that they would sometimes haggle with God. You know, like in the marketplace when you would sometimes barter, and you go and you haggle in the marketplace, especially if you've traveled overseas and give me this price and I'll get a better one. That's how the Jews would often pray. Um, and, and anyway, Jesus is haggling and he's arguing with the religious leaders of the day. And they're saying to him, you know, they're, they're arguing about the law. And Jesus is speaking about the temple. He's arguing in front of the temple, this giant structure. And Jesus says to these Jews, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will, rise it, I will raise it up. The Jews said then, it then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. What's going on here? Well, actually, what is Jesus saying? Jesus saying before, 
God's presence and glory was residing in a building, but now if you want to go and meet with God, you've got to come to me. I am the center of the glory and the presence of God. And you know, the first thing that marks us out as Christians is that we center our lives not around a building or a place, but that we center our lives now around a person. And this person is the God-man, the unique man that Colossians says that in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That this God-man, that if you want to encounter the presence and life of God, you go to the one in whom it resides. You go to Jesus. And so Jesus is the center of the presence of God. In a sense, Jesus is the fullness of what, whatever type that there was. It's found in the person of Jesus. And I think that's what summarizes a Christian, isn't it? It's just someone that's just crazy about, it's Pete Green once said, bananas about Jesus. It's just passionate about Jesus. Like, Jesus is everything. Jesus is not an attachment on your life. You know, like the, like the tabernacle was in the center of the camp. God did that for a reason. Because in the same way, our temple, Jesus Christ, is the center of our lives. Jesus is not on the outskirts and we kind of talk to him on a Sunday. Or we talk to him when, when we're in trouble. We run out to the outside of the camp so that we can find him. No, we build our lives around the person of Christ and around the glory of God. And that God's will, the Bible says that in, in him, we live and we move and we have our being. It's like it, it characterizes our very identity. That no longer, when you come to Christ, identity is no longer found in being your occupation. You know, for me, pastor, teacher. For you, lawyer. For you, teacher. For you, business person. For you, student. For you, Afrikaans, Kosa, English, whatever, you know, language. It doesn't matter. Our identity is not found in what we listen to or what we read or what, who our family is or what our surname is. Our identity is found in that man. That man, Jesus Christ, everything's about him. And, it, and, and if that's not true, I want to say, I don't think you're a Christian. And you might be religious, but you, you're, not, you're not truly. That's not what it means to be Christian. Christian means follower of Christ, but not follower from a distance. It means I, you're my Lord, and I'll do whatever you say. And it's a radical thing. Um, in fact, you know, you know where the name Christian comes from, the word Christian? The Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They were first called Christians, the uh, book of Acts says, in a city called Antioch. It's because they were so much cr uh, uh, passionate about this man, Jesus, worshiping him, obeying him, living for him, talking about him, that eventually the unbelievers around them said to them, you, are you also Christianoi, the followers of that man, Christ? Because you talk about him, you worship him as if he's God. Are you also, are you followers? Are you Christian? And that's where the name Christian came to be. I want to ask you, do you, do you kind of wear Christian because you have it on your t-shirt? Or because you listen to, you know, Christian music? What defines you? It's like a relationship with Jesus as Lord. With Jesus as the center of who we are. And, um, and so he is the center of God. And so if someone comes to you, you know, and says, I want to meet with God. I want to know God. What, where do you take them? You take them to Jesus. That's the first place. We can take them to church. We'll talk about that now. But if we don't take them to Jesus, woe to us. I remember um, as a young Christian, I was about 18 years old, 
man and I had been a Christian for about six months. I was, I was red hot for God. I remember getting saved out of a traditionalism. Um, and I was just, I loved the Lord. And I had a, a close friend at that point that started coming to church with us. And he was kind of looking in at Christianity, didn't grow up in church, didn't know much about church. And um, he started to come to church, come to youth. And after a while, I just thought, well, maybe he's a Christian now. I didn't actually ask him because I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to ask questions like that. Um, I just kind of assumed because he was with us long enough, he must be a Christian now. And I remember we had a, a debate one evening where we argued about music. And um, in, I used to listen to a lot of uh, music, certain kind, well, I still do, but certain kinds of music that when I got saved, I felt the Lord convict me of and actually stopped listening to it. Uh, I remember one, one band was Queen. Now, I'm, I actually still listen, actually listen to a bit of Queen today, so it's not, but at that point, not, not, okay, anyway. <laughs> And I, I love their music. I still do. Uh, they're amazing musicians. But I felt that by listening to them as a new Christian was damaged. I, I needed to actually get away from my old life, my old music, and just to find like a new start, even with what I was listening to. It wasn't, it wasn't bringing me closer to Jesus. So I cut it out of my life, and I remember burning my records. We had, we had a burn session. Burn, burn, burn. <laughs> and we literally made a bonfire, myself and my friend Brett, who was this, he, he, he was even more zealous than I was, he, and he had red hair. He, this guy was like energy money. We're going to burn our records. Yeah, let's burn our records, you know? And it was just like, don't judge me, but it was just, but we were, man, we just wanted Jesus at the center. So we burned our records. I'm sure I heard demons coming up, but, you know, I don't, and we, we burned our records. No, that was a joke, but I, we burned our records, and as we burned our records, I remember it's just like, man, it's a new start, and uh, this is my, what I feel the Lord's saying to do. And then our friend that was looking in, checking things out, we had this argument one evening about music. And he was a big uh, fan of, I don't remember which band. And I remember thinking, uh-uh, now if you're a Christian, you can't listen to that stuff. And of course, I was a bit misguided because that was what the Lord spoke to me about. I had to give him space to work it out for himself. But I didn't actually point him to Jesus. I pointed him to, no, but you must stop listening to that if you want to be a Christian. And I look back today and I pushed away a friend that I should never have said that to. Rather than saying which he should stop, I didn't point him to the one that would help him stop it. I didn't point him to the one in whom is the author of life and the source of life. I tried to put kind of fences around him and not point him to the well of life. And you know, what, what makes us attractive as Christians is that there's a well that, that bubbles up and people will come and because there's life, not because we put a fence around. And the life is found in the person of Christ. If you are, 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 I've got friends that you want to invite to these events and all these things, just make sure that you are lo loving the Lord. And they're, what, and they're picking those things up from us. Amen? All right, let's look at the second one. So, gone on too long, but let's go to the second one. The second um, uh, look at the temple of identity of... Um, fulfillment of the temple is now we see in the New Testament as well that we see that the church is now the temple of God. And let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. And as we look at the scripture, I want to say this, sure, this scripture is a very weighty scripture. And it's one that might disturb you. But that's okay because God somehow disturbs us sometimes. 
You know, the God of the Bible is not like the God of our culture or imagination. He, he's bigger than that, he, and he sometimes offends us. So be prepared to be offended. And so Paul's writing, and if you look in your Bible, if you've got your Bible here, that you see that the heading in my Bible at the top of the chapter, which is given by the translators as a, as a kind of theme for the chapter, mine says divisions in the church. And if you know a little bit about Corinth, it was like Stellenbosch on steroids, okay? There was just everything going on that you can imagine in the town. And unfortunately in the church, the church was as sinful and as secular as the world was. Got in and there was division and there was sexual sin and there was slander and gossip within the church. And Paul writes to them and he says this to them. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple. Interesting, he makes, you see how he's pulling it into the Old Testament. You are God's temple. What is he trying to say? And he says, and that God's spirit dwells in you. Right? Can you see the, the, the picture here? And there's another uh, a similar scripture in Peter where it says that we are made up of living stones built together that now God dwells, yes, in Jesus, but also as we gather as his people, we together are the temple of God. We are. And by the way, this word here, when it says that, don't you know that, that um, God's spirit dwells in you? you? When it says you, that is in Greek, the plural you. It's like yous. Or you all, if you're American, you know. Uh, you all, you all, right? That's what it's saying. It's saying you, are, you together are the temple. Now, I know you might say, but Mike, doesn't the Bible also say somewhere that my body is also the temple of the Holy Spirit? Is like the dwelling place? Yes. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> you guys are sharp tonight, man. In 1 Corinthians 6, it mentions specifically how you yourself, in your body, it says your body is the temple of the Spirit. Because it's speaking about having sex with prostitutes, and it says, don't do that. That's not cool. Don't, you know? Because you, your body is sacred. So yes, you as an individual, you are you're sacred to God. You are, you've been made in His image, but you've been born again and you've been restored. Is that your body is sacred. What you do in your body, that's important to God. It's part of our worship to God. But here His focus is us together when we meet with God. And, um, and He says, um, don't you know that God's... By the way, I want to just talk about suicide quickly. I want to just drop something with you. You know, I've heard some people quote the scripture and say that if you destroy your body, um, according to 1 Corinthians 3, uh, in suicide, you're going to go to hell. Someone who commits suicide, because actually the warning here is that if you destroy God's temple, he carries on to say here, God will destroy him. And that people will say, oh, you see, if you destroy your body, God will destroy you. You've committed murder against yourself. I want to say that is not what this is speaking about. It's got nothing to do with suicide. Is suicide, yes, of course, suicide is a sin, but we, we, we're not in that place to say someone who commits suicide is going to hell. I don't believe we're in the place to say that. I don't think Scripture is clear on that. Um, anyway, I don't want to go down there, but I want to say be careful how we mistwist Scripture. What this is speaking about is us together as his body. And it says here, if anyone, and here's the warning for us, right? Here's the wait. Here's the kick. You ready? All right. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Whew. What? 
Let me read that again. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. What is he trying to say here? He's saying if you are intentionally damaging the church, slandering the church, hurting the bride of Jesus, the body of Christ, if you are tarnishing her and speaking against her in some way, in a way that's going to wound her or hurt her in a way that, 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 that is in a real serious way, you know, it's a real serious warning. He says, whoa, be careful because the church belongs to God. That's where he lives and dwells. And I want to say to you, you know, all of us have beef with church at some time. If you haven't been hurt by the church, just wait. You will. I have. I've been part of church for goodness sake for whatever, 30 years. I've been hurt so much by the church. People have hurt me. The sheep bite, you know. All right? Leaders have disappointed me. Leaders have let me down. And I know some of you here have had real church hurt. But I think sometimes we throw it out and we make ourselves the victims where we tap out from learning how to be with the people of God. That, my friends, there's no ever place where we can do that. We have to learn. That's why the Bible says we've got to love each other. We've got to bear up each other. We've got to learn how to forgive one another, to learn how to be a kind of community that, 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 that learns how to work through these issues. Now, if you're part of a cult, run away. If you're part of a church that doesn't follow Jesus, run away. But my goodness sake, if there's a church where their leaders love the Lord and you're wanting to do you're going to get disappointed. Leonard is going to hurt you. <laughs> I'm sure he has already in some way, but not in, you know, we do, right? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying here, right? The point is this, is that, and I'm not, I'm not, I didn't write the scripture. What does God mean? I'm not quite sure. You work it out for yourself in the Lord, okay? I, I'm not, I didn't write this, but I'm saying that there's a, there's a weight. When you don't, be careful to touch the bride. This is God's, you are God's bride. And if you hurt her or you, you kind of slander against her or you push people away from her, you better ask the Lord to forgive you. If you've gossiped, ask the Lord to forgive you. It's like, that, that is not, that's not Christian. That's not the ways of the Lord. And I know we've probably all done it, but let's ask him to forgive us that we, 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 we look after that precious thing. And then it carries on. Let's look at Ephesians 2, 21 to 22. And same, same idea, it says this. Paul's writing to the church, and he's speaking about church as family and as a household. Then he, he, he swaps metaphors, and he uses, again, the temple imagery. And he says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him... You are also being built together to be a dwelling place for God. Don't you love that? In other words, God wants to make his home in Stellenbosch. Where is God making his home? Among you. If people want to meet with Jesus and see the glory of God and the presence of God, where do they go? They go to his people. And while we prioritize Jesus, I want to say to you, prioritize his people. That as the temple is in the center Church life, in many ways, is something that we prioritize our lives around. Why? Because it's the ways of the kingdom. And it's the ways that, that, that bring us up and build us up in the faith in him. I love it. Being joined together. In other words, 
you know, I was, I was driving here and there was a big sign on the side of the road driving here and it said, under construction. I think that should be on us, each of us, that sign. Under construction, being built together. You haven't, you're not all perfectly built together. It's like we are being built. We, like, we, we rub each other up the wrong way. Show grace to each other. Be kind. Let's look at the third one is the church is God's temple. And the, and the, uh, the third one is the, the whole earth will be God's temple. And I want to end with this quickly. I want to take a, two minutes. The whole earth will be God's temple. Now, here's the thing, is that God's intention is why Jesus is the fullness of the Father. He's the, you know, he is God in the flesh. We worship him. If we want to meet with God, we go to Jesus. Secondly, if you want to meet with God, be with his people. Because Je- that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus hangs out with us. He makes his home with us as we love him, as we worship him, is bring people in to the people of God. And the third one is this, is that when Jesus returns again, his plan is that the whole world will become the temple of God. The entire earth will be a place where he will dwell in his fullness. There's a promise in the Old Testament that says that the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that God's plan isn't just to fill um, the church with his presence, it is to fill every aspect of the entire earth, the globe, when he returns with his whole presence. Look what it says here in Revelation 21. Many people have misunderstood the scripture. I'm going to explain to you exactly what it means. No, I'm joking. There's mystery, but I think this is what it means. Okay, let's, let's read, verse, especially verse 16, but 2 to 3. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as is God. And the first thing you see is, what is it? It's a city coming down. What? Out of, out of the sky, out of heaven? What is going on here? A city? Is there going to be a literal city? You know, like in... Um, Marvel or, I don't know, the city's coming out of, I think of a movie where a city comes out of the sky. Imagine, a city coming down from the sky, you know, coming down, the city of God. Let me say to you, I don't think that is what Revelation's saying. Why? Because I think the book of Revelation is deeply um, filled of symbolism and apocalyptic literature, and it's filled with something far greater than the picture. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at verse 16, and it describes the city for us. And I'm going to end with something I said earlier. The city lies four square, its length as same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and its width and its height are equal. What's going on here? The city is a perfect cube. What's going on? The city is a fulfillment of that little tent in the desert. That little tent, that little desert tent. Perfect cube of the most holy place with that box of the the Ark of the Covenant inside the box, the law and all those things. That little building, that little tent is a picture of one day God himself is coming down in his glory, in his fullness, and he will cover the earth. Now there might be a city, but let me say that the point is that God is coming and breaking through the walls. There will be no barriers. There will be no 
uh, exit or entry. There will be no way. This will be, it will cover the earth. That is the plan of God in him. And we come together in him. Um, and the Bible actually says that the, light, the, the Lamb of God will be the light. We won't need the sun because the Lamb will be the sun. God himself will provide the light that we need on that day. What an amazing thing it will be. And um, I'm just dropping things. I know there's probably things that need to be qualified there. But I want to say that the plan of God is that his presence is among us as his people. Don't you want his presence? Don't you long for his presence? Don't we long to be a people of his presence? How do we find his presence? Prioritize Jesus. How do you find his presence? Prioritize his people. Prioritize the local church. Those two things will keep us to be flourishing whole human beings in the Lord. And every time we come together in the name of Jesus, we anticipate that day when that holy city will come down, when God will cover the earth with his glory and he will renew the nations. Isn't that beautiful? So I'd like to pray for us as we close. Um, I just want to say this, that um, if you're here and, and maybe your relationship with the church is a little bit, you're checking things out, I want to say you're welcome to take your time, check us out, check things out. We don't want to ever manipulate you into forcing you into like, you know, committing to the church. You've got to, you've got to find, you've got to fall in love with the family of God in some ways, right? And um, I want to say to you, you can never, the Bible never gives you the option to choose between Jesus or the church. The temple is Jesus and the church. It's not the church and not Jesus. It is the church and Christ. Christ and his people. There's no other way. And if maybe you've become uncomfortable being in a place where maybe you've even been scarred or hurt, you know, maybe you're here and you've been, you're a living stone, the Bible says. But maybe you're a burnt stone. Maybe you've been burnt. I want to say today I believe God wants to heal you. And he wants to give you fresh hope and wants to ask you to trust him again, that you would, in a sense, learn how to fall in love with the family of God, just as you fall in love with our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I really feel that for us, actually. I really feel that there might be some here that you're burnt stones. You've been burnt. Uh, you're a living stone. You, you're alive in him. You've known him. But somehow you've, you've really, they're real things that you've experienced that God would actually want to touch you and heal you. But Maybe something needs to start tonight of like, yes, Lord, here I am. I, I want to do that. Okay. Um, but there's also another group this evening, um, just as we, as we pray now, is, is with uh, maybe you're here tonight and you know that you've been, sure, it's like um, it's, you, you know the Lord has been calling you, um, but you've resisted him, and you're not right with God. You, you kind of, you know that you need to surrender your life to Christ. But it's like you've been too scared to do that. Maybe you've been uh, a, like a prodigal running and, and you know that the Father's been calling you back. Um, I don't know, is anyone like that this evening that, that we can pray for you, that, that you want to be right, you want to make right with God. You want to, again, just accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Why don't you bow our heads? And if that's you and you saying, Lord, I want to turn to you. I want to I become a living stone. Um, means I, I want to be made alive. Right? The Bible says you're actually dead. If you don't know him, you're dead. Um, 
that he wants to make you alive, truly alive. He will make you clean. He will wash you. He will wash you. You don't have to wash yourself. He will wash you. He will love you. And he will transform you from the inside out. Is anyone like that tonight? You need prayer. You need, firstly, you want to make right with God. You know, right with him in some way. Could you raise your hand? That's you, slip it up. Say, Mike, that's me. I want to, I want to just afresh, just surrender my life to the Lord. Then for us, for the rest of us. Maybe you hear as a as a burnt stone in some way that you've maybe there's a shadow in your heart against church and the people of God. And it's kind of maybe put a bit of resistance in you in some way. We haven't truly given yourself. You haven't like put it at the center. You know, maybe Jesus at the center, but kind of his people. Um, I feel like tonight, maybe the Lord would want you to take a step and say, Would you would you, would you put me at the center with my people? Is anyone this evening that you want to respond? You feel maybe the Holy Spirit's touched you to, um, yeah, that you, you've had the church in the wrong relationship in a sense, and you want to come before the Lord and say, Lord, would you help me? Would you put me on a journey to learn what it means to fall in love with the people of God? Is anyone, would you raise your hand if that's you? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this evening? Or you feel like you're burnt stone, and even tonight, by raising your hand, it's a sign saying, Lord, would you come and begin healing me? Would you put in me a trust? Maybe you've got a mistrust towards leaders, a mistrust towards. I want to say to you, my friends, this is a serious thing because if you keep that distance, it will affect your calling and your destiny in the Lord. That's that important. That's that important. And I'm not saying that lightly, I'm not saying that to manipulate you, I'm saying it because it's true. It's the ways of God. Father, we want to thank you. And just, just keep your hand up. For those who have, just keep your hand up. And Father, we want to thank you for those the, this, this evening that have raised their hands and responded, Lord. We want to pray right now, Lord, for them that, that as they've done so, that you would come and, yeah, just show them the beauty of your bride. Even as, Lord, they get to know you better and ultimately fall in love with you. But, Lord, that you'd show them that maybe there's been a bit of shadow in the heart or a little bit of uh, an, put church as an attachment. Would you come again tonight and restore uh, a love for the brothers and sisters and put in their hearts a love for the brothers and sisters? The Bible says, how can we say we love God if you hate your brother? You cannot. And oh God, maybe those tonight that are struggling to love the brothers and sisters, living for themselves, God, would you come and change those hearts tonight in Jesus' name? Would you do that, Lord? In the name of Jesus, we pray. We love you, Lord.